WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. It's the show with your hot takes and our even hotter opinions. And joining me in the other chair once again this week is Miss Charlie Williams. Hello, Charlie. How's it going? Hello, it's going well. I've, I've, every time I'm back, it feels like it's been so long and I don't know why. <laughs> it's just like raw coincidence. It's just like, oh, we, we, we think it's a little bit of behind the scenes talk here. We do try to rotate the guest every every episode. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. People get busy. We take certain days off. It happens. But we've missed you, Charlie. It's good to have you back. How did you find Belgium? Yeah, it was... Um... <laughs> it was <all> right. <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't very convincing, was it? No, um, not, no. not in the slightest. <laughs> no, it was okay. I always enjoy spa, so it was it was just nice to be back. But um, yeah, it was it was. Do you know what? I did like a ten second like clip on Twitter that was mm. like it <laughs> was like the Belgian Grand Prix in ten seconds, and it was just and we're lights out and away we go and Max Verstappen crosses the flag. <laughs> I'm sure you're not. I'm. I'm sure you're not the only person that's fought that in the last yeah. few months now. No. So you know that's that just sums it up, though, doesn't it? Really. It, it, more or less. I mean, we we are trying to we're, we're trying to cook here. We're trying to do something, <laughs> but the sport is not giving us all that much to work with at the moment. Unless you're into midfield fights, which we'll get into a little bit in the show, because hey, one of the takes might involve that a little bit. But uh, hey, for those who are new here, because as I always say, every podcast is someone's first. You, the fine WTF1 audience, can send us your hot takes. Um, normally uh, the, via Twitter, then we put a tweet out every Monday. Um, look out for the. Hot takes wednesday logo on that one you can also reach out to me on social media if you're that way inclined um my instagram is probably the best place you can find me dre wtf1 is my instagram username for that or drew drew f1 if that makes it easier to remember because you're not the first person that's pointed that out to me audience (laughs) (laughs) i've heard that a lot in in the six months i've been here now um so you feel free or you can email the show contact at wtf1.com they all get passed on to me for hot takes wednesday so don't worry about that um that's another way you can get involved if you want to send in your take via email and we've had a couple of those in as well so thank you for sending all of those in once we get all these takes, me and our lovely guest, Charlie, in this case, will evaluate the take, we'll give ourselves some opinions on it, and then we'll score it on a scale of one to five, one being that we strongly disagree with it and five being that we strongly agree. Look out for the best of edition as well towards the end of the year because uh, I'm keeping them all in a special vault. I've opened it up a little bit more. It's not just going to be double ones and double fives anymore. I've got it all timed out, and we'll, we'll actually look back and see over the course of the year just how wide wild and wacky some of these takes ended up aging some like milk some like a fine wine we'll have to wait and see um thankfully i'm still alive after last week's bold gambit that was put out there that logan Sargent might end up in the points he was running temp at one point and i'm not gonna <laughs> lie i was very nervous <laughs> um, thankfully and i don't mean this thankfully because I, I love williams but you know them having a free stopper certainly didn't help um, the matters on that one. So I uh, kind of got away with that one there for a second. But Logan, don't don't scare me like that, okay? I almost had to pay out two bets in the space of a month. Um, so that's been fun. Right, shall we do a, the next episode of Hot Takes Wednesday, Charlie? We shall. Let's go. Let's do it. Take number one comes from Josh Potts. And Josh Potts asks, 
or says, I should say. Lando Norris, despite being the best driver on the grid who hasn't won a race, will not be the next new race winner. I could see Piastri or Stroll nicking one before him. Lando Norris, despite being the best driver on the grid who hasn't won a race, will not be the new the next new race winner. Sorry, I could see Piastri or Stroll nicking one before him. Let's go to our McLaren correspondent, uh, Charlie <laughs> Williams, for more details on this startling hot take. No. No, no, that's all I have, no. Thanks for coming, uh, everybody. <laughs> well, right. No, well, let's go back to the first part of that. Yes, he is the best driver on the grid that hasn't won a race, if not better yeah. than some of the drivers that have won a race. Um, I, I really hate the whole, like, Orlando no wins thing I I appreciate that in Russia he essentially threw away a win which wasn't entirely entirely his fault that decision to stay out wasn't just him but even in the likes of Monza he could have won that race if the team had let him battle Daniel in fact I'm fairly confident in saying that he would have overtaken Daniel but the team decided that a one-two was more important than throwing potentially nothing had they, you know, collided or anything, which it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Lando is is honestly, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this on this podcast. He is a future world champion. I am 100% certain in that. He's an incredible driver. And don't get me wrong, so is Oscar. I am, abs- I am honestly, I'm so impressed with him this year. A little admission. Obviously, I am oh. a McLaren fan. But of when course. it was announced that the team had really Daniel from their contract and taken on Piastri. I was a little bit unsure. I followed, I, I honestly, I followed Oscar throughout his junior career. I know how his, how impressive he is, but I just wasn't sold. And I, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the prospect of having, you know, two very young drivers on the team we've seen in recent, even recent years that, that hasn't always gone very well. Um, but Goodness gracious me, he has proven me wrong. <laughs> I He's probably the best rookie I think we've seen in F1 since Lewis, genuinely. And But at the moment, he is still number two. And I think McLaren will respect that Lando has had his time to play the second driver. He has been there for and done that role. And now it's his turn to show everyone what he's got. If that car continues to be as as, as as impressive as it has been with the upgrades, then but the only thing standing in the way between Lando and a win is Red Bull, nothing else. And I'm not even going to acknowledge the stroll part of that question because that is just an <laughs> absolute, like that's just BS. It's a howler. Um, I'll tell you how I feel about most of this. Um, it's I, I haven't got my phone on me, but somebody on Instagram DM'd me today with the exact sentence for a potential hot take submission of Piastri is the best rookie since Hamilton. I was, I was like, my eyeballs lit up. I, I might have to actually dig out my phone and give this person a shout out. Cause I think it's only fair. Give me just a second. I need uh, to, we need, I need to find this person. <laughs> I will, I, 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 I've, I've just found my phone now. I'm going to tell you who it was. Cause I think it's, I think it's only fair that I give the person it's, it's due because I think it's a very interesting perspective because we have been spoilt for young drivers in recent times. And d- despite that, like th- there's a lot of excitement in the air regarding Piastri. And I think a lot of it is valid and a lot of it is, 
is fair because I agreed. Like I generally was unsure. Also, the person was Alex Ranyard. Um, so Alex, shout out to you because you you literally sent in Piastri is the best rookie since Hamilton. A lot to discuss there, I think. And I said to him, I like it. So that's just my burner account. So of course it was. (laughs) Um, what what a surprise. So uh, Alex, shout out to you. Um, he kind of made the show, but not really. But I hope I hope that makes up for it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say. There was reasons to be doubtful about Piastri. Yes, he had flown through the juniors, uh, you know, winning Formula, you know, Formula Renault and then Formula Three and two in a three-year span is nuts. But he did sit a year out um, yeah. as part of the Alpine Academy. We hadn't really known what he was capable of in a car. Um, yes, he he had the junior record, an outstanding junior record, won them all as rookies as well. So, like the on paper, you'd think he was really good, but you never quite know. Once you're a year out of the no. car, you might be rusty. I mean, it was a team that had just decided to pay Daniel Ricciardo a bucket load of money not to come to work. And Ricciardo was a great driver who's had a fantastic career. This there was a lot of ways this could have gone wrong. And and I can totally like if you were someone that was down on Piastri going into this season, I would have completely understood. Like mm-hmm. it, it, there, there were valid reasons to be concerned. He's been incredible this year. The moment he's had a car that's been worth a damn, he has absolutely stepped up and delivered. And it's not just been a matter of if anything, I was most impressed with that sprint he had to to finish second because it felt like he was coming out of Lando's shadow a little bit because like, I'm not, this is not to insult Piastri or Lando. Lando is an incredible race, a race, a race car driver. I agree with Josh entirely. He is the best driver on the grid that hasn't won a Grand Prix yet. In my opinion, I think yeah, I agree. I, I'd also say he's probably better than a couple of the people who has won a Grand Prix mm-hmm. at the moment. So I, I completely agree with that perspective. Um, and, the take is a valid one for if no other reason that the sprint proved that Piastri can spearhead McLaren's effort on his own if need be. Because if you looked at most of McLaren's season, and you can back me up on this one, Charlie, if I'm not, Piastri has largely been behind Norris, not by a huge amount. You know, the head-to-heads are heavily in Norris's favor, which they should be for a driver of his quality. But it's not like Piastri's getting blown out every weekend no. like, like Ricardo was. This was like the weekend where Norris made a mistake in qualifying. He damaged his car, he damaged his floor, and then Piastri was able to put the team on his back and spearhead McLaren as a potential number one if need be. He was excellent in the sprint. He was outstanding. That second place was a fantastic drive. Was very unlucky that his Grand Prix was yanked out from underneath him after 10 seconds. Um, I, I, I... I can see there being a world and being a scenario where if the chips fell a certain way, Piastri could win a Grand Prix. Like, like, and I, I, that would not be an outrageous thing to say because I don't think he's a million miles behind Norris. Yes, if it was a straight fight and all things being equal, yes, I would take Norris over Piastri, no problem. But I don't think he's so far behind where if an opportunity presented itself, Piastri couldn't take advantage and win because Spa's sprint was basically that. You know, he was second, a comfortable second. He was the only person in Verstappen's postcode during that sprint race. So, yeah, I'm ignoring the stroll part um, because, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I've, tr- I've tried with Lance. I really have, but he's not like if you're not on Alonso's level you're not winning a Grand Prix unless major shenanigans go down he's got yeah. the car to do it uh, if 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 all thing again if all things being equal and Aston Martin's got a favorable track 
yeah, they could challenge for a win. But it's not coming from Lance Stroll. It's coming from Fernando yeah. Alonso, who's been Absolutely. quality all year long. Um, so I would say four. I I, I agree. I, I agree with this take. I think, I think, yes, Lando would still comfortably be favourite as next person to be a new winner. But I think Piastri is right there with him in terms of ability in terms of how fast he's been able to adapt to F1. The fact he's kept Lando honest in most of these scenarios, especially now post-upgraded McLaren. I think Piastri has shot up in a lot of people's estimations in the last couple of weekends. And I think that's very valid. So I'm going to say four. My problem with this take is, not that I don't think that Piastri could win a race because I do gen- mm. genuinely like, like you said, if the opportunity arose, he could take it. But my thing is, is that Spa was, you know, he has, he has been comfortably behind. And like we say, not much, but he has been behind Lando and Spa. I mean, he did an, an absolutely incredible job, but Lando did damage his, his floor, which, and they were also running different, setups Lando was much more high high downforce than mm-hmm. Oscar That's so fair. I think had had they you know had he not had damage had everything been equal I think Lando probably would have still outdone Piastri so I'm gonna go a two because it's okay. not that I don't think it can happen but I still think that Lando will will be the next new race winner yeah, I think that's completely valid. Like I said, all things being equal, I think Norris is still the best driver in F1 that's currently winless on the roster. And you, if you were a betting man, he'd almost certainly be your odds-on favourite to be next on the list. But yeah, like I said, I want to give Piastri his due because I, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a million miles behind, which, to be fair, given what people have said about McLaren in the past, about how it's a difficult car to drive, about how Daniel Ricciardo... Oh, again, definitely. You know, Ricciardo being... like, And I've said this before, Ricciardo is an incredible driver and, and one of the best drivers of the last 10 years years or so he's i've said it before he's won eight grand prix and he's not had the best car in any of those eight wins that he's had in f1 um so for him to have that as a resume is very very impressive and he got completely smoked by loris in that car which i think to in my opinion is still more about how mclaren set up their car compared yeah. to ricardo's ability so for the fact that piastri's been able to walk in and trade punches with with Norris on a few occasions is genuinely very impressive um and like I said that's not a that's not a stab at Norris that they've just got a quality team and if if McLaren keep trending in this direction maybe they can dig themselves out of midfield hell which would be a hell of a turnaround given that they've had a fair few seasons where they've slipped down the order a little bit what was yes. James like I said it before what was James Key doing in that technical department I have to like somebody please tell me um like clearly it wasn't working um Ariette show on Twitter says this is gonna be a fun one Red Bull have made the sport boring and viewership is down Five. Uh, next one. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, Red Bull have made the sport boring and viewership is down. Nah, says Ariad Show. And it's it's very, it's very much to the point. It's very straightforward. I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to argue that. Like, I, I feel like I've got to be the nuanced guy a little bit here and say a lot of fans probably came in off the back of the DTS era, we've talked about it on the podcast multiple times before. 
the you know, the last three or four years of fan support and the influx has been a huge shot in the arm that the sport has badly needed, in my humble opinion. However, I think a lot of these same new fans are probably realizing that this is actually quite normal for F1. Now, yeah, Red Bull is ultimately responsible for it. And be, yeah, they've done an absolutely unbelievable job. I think we are witnessing one of the best F1 cars ever seen. I think we're seeing that in combination with a talent who is, I mean, Max Verstappen has been absolutely incredible this year. There's there's no getting around it. He is like, like Sergio Perez is a damn good racing driver and Max Verstappen has absolutely taken him apart this, this season. Um, it's It's been incredible. And yeah, there's no getting around that. It does make things a bit dull. It, I can understand people's tuning out. I think, is it fair to say, Charlie, that a little bit of this is the norm and a little bit of this is harsh, or am, or am I, or am I being nice, or I don't deserve it? Like you tell me. <laughs> hmm. I mean, dominance is normal in Formula One, but I think I don't know. I don't know if tw- I mean we're we're talking about 2021. I don't know if that kind of, that, I don't know, put a lot of hope, false hope, maybe. maybe. And even even in like new fans and older fans, like sure. both, because I kind of, I really, I think I've mentioned this before as well. I went into the 2022 season making predictions that were so wild, but I genuinely believed they were going to happen because of the new regulations, because of how freaking crazy 2021 was. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, they didn't, nothing happened. It, it was, it, you know, it, it kind of like it had gone back, back again to to years ago where it was just the same old. So, I mean, viewership, I believe, is down. I've heard that in several places that I think it, that is true. Makes sense. Although dominance in a Formula One wouldn't make me stop watching the sport, I've been a fan long enough to know that, you know, it... It kind of is a, it's a vicious cycle. You get one team at the top, they change the regulations, that team goes, another team comes. It's just the way it is. But I can understand why people have lost interest, particularly if, like you said, they've only really started getting into the sport over the last few years. I don't want to take anything away from Red Bull here. What they've achieved is absolutely incredible and it's history in the making. And I think that itself is exciting but I think we discussed this last time. This was a take on our last Hot Takes Wednesday was for me personally, I need a championship fight or at least not, if not a championship fight, at least some drivers battling for a win. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I need that as a source of entertainment for me to really sit and say, oh my goodness, I love Formula One. And at the moment, I'm not getting that. I'm really, not that I'm struggling to gel with it, but I'm not coming away from the the races thinking, Oh my goodness! I can't wait for next week. That's entirely fair. Look, first and foremost, I've said it before on this show many a time: how you consume your sports is ultimately down to you. That's completely subjective, and it's absolutely understandable if you know this this idea of Red Bull going to every race weekend. You kind of know in the back of your head. I mean, look, we found out on Friday that Verstappen was getting a five place grid drop because of a, a, a extra gearbox parts he had taken. And the general discourse on my Twitter timeline was, oh, when does he take the lead then? Lap three, lap four, what? Like, you know, it's 
it's it's anti-intrigue at this point. And that's, again, that's completely fine. Like, sport is an entertainment endeavor. It's why Formula One changes the regulations every few years in the first place. They are trying to avoid such dominance like this. But it's that classic case of juggling sports and the integrity of a sport and the entertainment side of it. Because if the entertainment side dies, then no one watches it. Your sport dies anyway. So it's it's all there's always going to be that tug of war between those two elements because sometimes they are going to conflict with each other. You know, people talk about recent news about maybe trying to balance the power units out, fears about the 2026 regulation changes that are coming up. And, you know, are people genuinely complaining because it's a valid complaint or is it? more politics from team bosses saying, hey, we want our, we want our power units to be better so that we can go and dominate the next set of regs. Mm. This is what F1 is like. Like often the true entertainment for me is the politics that come with it because that's what truly makes the sport go round. Um, and the action can be boring. And look, me personally, I actually quite enjoyed Belgium. I thought some of the midfield fighting was genuinely really intriguing. And, you know, some of those cars like Sonoda and Albon and Sargent and the Alphas were genuinely in the wars all race long. And I thought that was actually quite fun. But I completely understand if you're a sports fan, you're always going to care most about who wins and who loses. And the idea of wanting a title fight, wanting genuine intrigue for the win, that's absolutely fine. And I will never argue with anybody who wants their sport to be that way. I really like, I don't know what it is. I really just can't like sit there and be like, yeah, P6. Like, I just, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I I completely understand. Like, you know, I, I tweeted about this the other day and somebody was like, Oh, did you say this when Hamilton was dominating? Yes, actually, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I, I, I say I say it in every dominant era that we've ever had, because I probably wouldn't say it if it was McLaren. I'm not going to lie, because yeah, because I'm we all have our favourites. Yeah, because I'm going to I'm going to soak in that glory for as long as it takes. But it, that doesn't stop every other dominant era. I've always said it. It is boring. But that's not going to, as I said, that's not going to stop me from watching the sport. I still love it. it. It doesn't make any difference to me. If I sit there bored, I'm still watching cars go round. So that's that's, yeah. that's all my excitement levels need. But I, yeah, I just, I cannot personally, I just cannot get excited by a, by a midfield battle. N- no kind of midfield battle is going to fill that void for me, which is fine. Yeah. I love football and Man City's won five out of the last six Premier League titles. And I'm a United fan, and I've got even more reason to be pissed off about that. So I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> it's not going to stop me from enjoying the sport in, in, in at, at its face value. But maybe because I've been a fan for such a long time. I mean, for those who don't know me very well, I've been a fan since the Schumacher days, like early 2000s. And I grew up into a Schumacher dominant era. And I loved it because Michael Schumacher was my first sporting hero. I was a huge Ferrari (laughs) fan growing up. And I loved seeing Schumacher, especially towards the end, like 02 and 04, when he was absolutely destroying the field. You revel in that. I've said it before. We as fans have our favorites. And in sports in general, we are fickle. We like to back winners. I've always said the number one way to gain new fans in sport is to win. 
that's what you do because people like to share that. Like, I don't like this whole notion in sports of, oh, you're a glory hunter. No, we like to back winners. That's what we do. Like, that's how <laughs> you gain fans. You win and you, because you want to share that glory of winning. Like, that, that's part of how sports fandom works. But well, I, I don't know. As, as an Arsenal and McLaren fan, I don't think I could agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it, it, like, as, a, as a Manchester United Ferrari fan, yeah, same actually. Um, so yeah, I know. Like then again, I'm I'm as a as a, I, for fun fact for you, I'm fir- I'm 31 in a couple of weeks' time. I had I had the I had both of those franchises have uh, more than their fair share of glory <laughs> yes. um, in the last <laughs> 20 years or so. So I, I'm the last person that has the right to complain if I'm being valid about this. But that swings and roundabouts. That's sport for you. So yeah, from a take standpoint, yeah, it's a five. I can't I can't argue with this. It is a bit dull. You know, we are looking for entertainment where we can. Um, and yeah, like like I said, sports fans are fickle. If something is not entertaining and if they, if they know they're going to win, they're going to be less likely to watch. That's That goes for every sport, you know, to a degree. Formula One is no different. Um, well, I would, I would put an asterisk next to that five, though, and say it ultimately depends on how you feel about Red Bull. Because I think if your favorite driver and your favorite team was the one doing the winning, I think you'd be a bit more likely to turn a blind eye to that. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't think Red Bull and Verstappen are as popular as say Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes. If it was Sebastian Vettel winning again right now, I think we'd all be feeling a little bit different about his wholesomeness, Mr. Uncle of the Grid winning all the time. Because everybody's got their favorites. Wow. That's well, the I, d- I don't know. I don't know though. Seb at Red Bull wasn't wasn't the uh, he definitely got more loved as, when he moved on because he stopped he, winning. Yeah, but yeah, but he was also. I mean, he he had that young, arrogant attitude at Red Bull as well. Which he pointed a finger. That was deemed as arrogance. <laughs> we are fickle as hell as sports fans. Like compared to what we've seen now, where Max Verstappen is making jokes about taking an extra pit stop in the middle of a Grand Prix, we deemed a finger point as arrogance. We have changed. I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was. I don't know. It wasn't just that, but. That's a conversation for another oh, time. Yeah. We, we, we only have so much time on, on, on Hot Takes Wednesday. And, you know, if, if Charlie gets wound up, we could be here for the next two hours. So best <laughs> best to move on before she goes on another tirade. Um, take number three comes from Don Fisher. And Don Fisher says, Dan Ricardo will drive so well for the rest of the year that Yuki Sonoda will not have a seat in 2024. Hmm... Dan Ricardo will drive so well for the rest of the season that Yuki will not have a seat next year. To which my, 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 my the first thing that came into my head was, um, well, that weekend wasn't wasn't exactly the Daniel Ricardo plan, was it? Because Yuki Sonoda back in the points, um, a, a precious point for Alpha Tauri in in tenth place for Yuki, and had a fantastic Grand Prix. One of, I think one of his best of the year, I, I would argue. Ricardo a bit patchy by comparison, got knocked out in qualifying off a track limits call in Q1, was eliminated a bit early. Decent in the sprint, he was 10th, but rather anonymous in the race. Came in pretty early. I don't think Yuki Tsunoda is suddenly just going to drop off a cliff just because Ricardo's back in that seat. I mean, it's hard. Because again, and I'm, I'm speaking to Miss Number One, Nick the Freeze Defender here. <laughs> so this again, this 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 could get interesting. But about what I'm about to say here, but Nick the Freeze, who was, I, I still think that the Freeze should have gotten more than ten races, and I think it was very harsh that he lost his job so quickly. 
I, I blame Red Bull's management for giving him the seat in the first place. If that's how you felt about him, that you're prepared to let him go after just you know ten Grand Prix. If this is how you felt about Nick, you should have just put Ricardo in the AlphaTauri seat from day one. He was always an option. And if if Ricardo again changed his mind about his hiatus at the end of last year, because I know he said he, he was burnt out from F1, so maybe that factored into things a bit. But for me personally it does kind of call into question Yuki's season a little bit because the freeze lost his job, you know, and after just 10 Grand Prix. So how much of that was the car? How much of that was on Nick maybe dragging them down a bit? But again, I, I think Belgium was proof for Yuki that he's still very solid and he's he scored all the points in that team this year. He's been hovering around that 10 or 11 spot for a lot of this season. And I think... I, I personally don't think that Sonoda's just going to, you know, fade into obscurity and then lose his job. Um, I think even if he falls behind Ricardo, are they going to replace him with Liam Lawson? I, I, I'm not I'm not confident on that one. I mean, how do you feel about that whole situation, Charlie? Funnily enough, me and my boyfriend were actually having this discussion. Mm. over the weekend it like this pretty much this exact take and I, I don't know if it was after the qualifying at spa or something i don't know but i know we've only had two races of daniel's like you know comeback but he has really impressed me and i'm i'm shocked by how much he's impressed me in a way to come back into a team after i don't know 8 months or whatever it was after not driving a car or even like properly training or anything i am genuinely really impressed now my main theory is still that they've brought him into alpha tauri to prep him for the 2024 red bull seat but mm. if that isn't the case as they keep on claiming that they will see through checo's mm. contract until the end of 2024 mm. if they actually do keep that promise then i think I, I genuinely do think that yuki could be in a little bit of danger and it, 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 I, I don't know. It's not a good look. I mean, I know he did really well this weekend, but I mean, uh, this is going to be like a, I'll probably get like a little bit of backlash for this, but Daniel, it's really hard to say would have ha because he didn't, but he would have had a really good qualifying if it, if those track limits, you know, didn't exist, but he is still like, on a, you know, he's coming back. He's still learning all of that again. It's I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to step foot back into a Formula One car, and I can't imagine it's like riding a bike in that you never forget. I was I thinking, really I, was, just... I was thinking of that famous Gino, Gino De Campo quote the other day about grandmother's wheels and bikes. <laughs> when you mentioned no. Ricardo could have had a really good quote, but it wasn't <laughs> for the driver error that he made in Q one to go off the track. Um, yeah, but he's. <laughs> He is still like I said. He's almost like not a rookie. Of course, he's not a rookie, but like he's he's still getting to grips with the car, with mm. everything again. So I think to pull out what could have been that performance, this is like oh, the, uh, me saying this is like Max's <laughs> Max's Saudi. Was it Saudi lap all over again? Yeah, the lap of the gods <laughs> that didn't count because he pinned it on the final corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but 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 I don't know. It's that kind of thing for me. I just I don't think for Yuki. If if Daniel comes back after the the summer break and does continue or you know does actually floor Yuki, I don't think it's a great look for Yuki after three years of being in that team to be, to be beaten by Daniel Ricciardo. No, no matter how much of a race winner or how much experience he's got, it isn't a good look. And I'm I think yeah, I think his seat could be in trouble for twenty twenty four. If I mean. <laughs> 
the other the other thing that's also like looming in my brain is that they were always well Daniel's basically a shoe in for a seat in in some kind of Red Bull capacity for a very long time until he chooses to retire I think now they love him so mm-hmm. he will either be in that Alpha Tari or that Red Bull until he wants to walk away from the sport and I don't know like what do they what do they do I mean Yuki has been there for three years. It's not exactly, even though he has had quite a good year compared to his last two seasons. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He was. This is really hard for me as well as a Nick fan because I don't think he was that far away from Nick either. And if if Daniel just extends that gap even further, Red Bull are so brutal. I just don't see what's stopping them. I would hate yeah. it. I would hate that. Yeah. Because like you say, I don't think Liam Lawson would come in and do any better, but Red Bull have got that kind of mentality that like, it's not working, let's get rid. And they're I, not going to get rid yeah. of Daniel. So I, I made this point with Hannah, I think on last week's show, that Red Bull's already won both championships. They can afford to experiment at this point. Like They've got nothing to play for at this point. Max Verstappen would be leading the Constructors' Championship on his own right now. It doesn't matter what Red Bull does at this point, because everything is tied up for the year like they're now like they now have the rest of this year to use ricardo as a guinea pig to see where he's at compared to the other drivers they've got on their roster it like ricardo has made it abundantly clear he wants to get the band back together at red bull he wants that red bull seat that perez is holding on to more on that later um but it, it i mentioned this before and i've mentioned it on other places where i write that there's not very many good ways this ends for sonoda like because a lot of fans were cynical towards Ricardo after his time at McLaren, which is understandable. It's a very what have you done for us lately kind of sport. And Ricardo's McLaren one was, was was dreadful. There's no getting around that. So a lot of people came into this thinking, well, Ricardo's cooked. A lot more people were also like, but Ricardo was really good when he was at Renault. And when obviously his time at Red Bull. So a lot of people still thought Ricardo was also really, really good. It and then you've got Sonoda, who's having his best season in Formula One comfortably. But he lost 2-0 to Pierre Gasly when they were both teammates. And Nick DeFries, who you thought wasn't good enough to even get to the summer break, is the only real driver you've looked good against. Now, this is a big test for Sonoda. He's got a genuinely quality teammate in the second seat again. And it's a shame because Sonoda's really good season, in the eyes of some, is going to look worse purely because DeFries was in the other seat. And that's not Yuki's fault. He can only be no. who they put in front of him. And that's unfortunate because I genuinely think Yuki's been one of the best drivers in F1 this year, pound for pound. I think that Alpha Tauri is a donkey. I think <laughs> I think it's got the best power unit in the sport in its car, but it's still bottom of the constructors. Like, how bad must a chassis on that car be? Oh, horrific. If it's, if it's got a Honda power unit in it, and it is still struggling to get into the points. I think Yuki's genuinely been really good this year. The problem is, if Ricardo comes in and smashes him, it's going to make everything look even worse by comparison. Yeah. The good news for Yuki is, is that he ha- that hasn't happened yet. Like, yes, Ricardo was definitely better in Hungary, but I would also argue Sonoda was definitely better at Spa. So, he, and and... Again, Sonoda brought home a point, which is absolutely priceless for that team right now because they need all the points they can get. There's not very many to go around at the bottom of the field right now, so every point matters. And Sonoda just brought home his best result of the year in 10th. Um, And I think 
he was running as high as six foot one point. He was driving brilliantly in that in that Grand Prix, especially in the first half of it. I think the two points that Don makes in his original take are kind of independent, and that's where I've got a problem with this one. Was like Ricardo Ricardo can drive really really well. I'm not necessarily sure that means by proxy that means Sonoda is going to lose his job. I I think they I think both can coexist. And honestly, if you're Alpha Tauri and this is how your two drivers are getting down right now, the drivers are not the problem. Your setup is fine. You you can have Ricardo if if he's slightly better than Sonoda. Fine. It's it's Daniel Ricardo. He's won eight Grand Prix. Like that's a really good driver to have in your team. Like a proven winner, a guy that's been a driver of the year candidate multiple times. It's a great guy to have. And Sonoda has carried your team for, for the first half of the year and got you all your points. It's a good like it's it's such a hard one because. Red Bull have kind of just dug themselves into this hole and there is no obvious solution. Like, what if Ricardo's just middle of the road? What what the hell do you do then? Do you just give him another year by proxy if he wants it? Do, do, you, yeah. promote, do you promote Lawson instead of Sonoda, thinking that, well, Lawson's going to you know, kill it in Super Formula? I don't know. It's a really difficult one, this. Um... <laughs> I have I, I put in a new rule on last week's show that I would only use the free rating once per episode, and I might have to use it here because <laughs> this is difficult. I don't think Ricardo is going to outshine Sonoda over the rest of the year that much to the point where they're talking about Yuki losing his job. So with that in mind, I'm going to say two. If for no other reason that I think Sonoda's been good enough for, I think he can hold his own against Ricardo, even though on paper Ricardo is a better driver. That's mm, it's tough. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to stick with two. I'm going to stick with two. Uh, I've, had to, I've had to go back and forth in my head about this a few times, but I'm, I'm going to say two on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know because I genuinely like at the beginning of this year. Like I looked at Yuki and I was like, he needs to drive for his entire life this year. Oh, absolutely. Because, because if he hadn't, he'd be gone. Like hundred percent. And I, I and with Nick, <laughs> with Nick as a teammate, I think he was safe. But I don't know if he's gonna be safe with Daniel. Oh my my other thing I'm thinking of is that if they don't, if they don't um move Daniel to, to Red Bull until 2025 and they do honour Perez's contract, will they just keep them both together because the remaining amount of races isn't enough to to prove that, you know, Yuki isn't worth a seat? It's only a 12-race sample size off the back end of this yeah. season after they yeah. fired the freeze. There's only 12, it was only 12 rounds between now and the end of the year. So, it's, it's, I mean, 12 was enough of a sample size for him to get rid of Pierre Gasly when he was at Red Bull. So I wouldn't put it past Red Bull at this point. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna be that person. I'm gonna go three. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be a fence sitter. The audience does not like fence sitters on this show. <laughs> I've I've come to that conclusion from the tweets and emails I've gotten over the times of BB and host, but I think forgive us on that one because that is a <sighs> genuinely hard one from the two races we've seen so far. Um it's a very, very strange I would say strange tick. I would say Hard to predict take because 
it's been so back and forth for Alpha Tauri. It's been such a messy situation. It's hard to really get a vibe on things. This is the sort of take where we'll come back at this at the end of the season and we'll probably have a totally different perspective on it. And I think that's fascinating. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup over the rest of the year to see how Sonoda gets down against Ricardo because um, so far, it's I think it's been pretty on as even so far, which is very interesting indeed. Take number four comes from Lexi, and Lexi says, Lewis getting a five-second time penalty and two penalty points for less than what Carlos did to Oscar is insane, and I'll die on that hill. I, uh, you, you can't see it because we're a visual medium. We're not a visual medium for, on, on this show, but uh, Charlie just rubbed her hands like Birdman. Um, if you know, you know. Um, Lewis getting a five-second time penalty and two penalty points for less than what Carlos did to Oscar is insane, and I'll die on that hill. So, Miss Number One Oscar Piastri fan over in the corner, what's your interesting perspective going to be on this one? <laughs> oh, I was waiting for this one. <laughs> I... I actually really wanted to discuss this because mm. for those who hadn't seen it, Carlos tweeted something on Sunday night, basically saying it was a shame that the race ended that way from a racing incident, but then in the same breath, blamed Oscar to the whole yeah. of Twitter. Yeah. To, you know, I, and I quote tweeted it saying, it's not too late to delete this. And someone outed me, right, for thinking that way because I'm biased and it was against my favorite team, blah, blah, blah. The usual crap that people like to think is an insult. Sure. Um, anyway, firstly, I do think that the incident with Carlos and Oscar was just a racing incident. I Agreed. don't think it was neither of their faults predominantly. They both could have done something different in that moment. I mean, for Carlos to say that he had the move done on Lewis is just bizarre because he literally locked up and moved into the open space to save himself from going into the back of Lewis. Um, but it was still, for me, it was a racing incident. Lap one, turn one, just one of those things. But what bothered me the most about this whole thing was a 22-year-old rookie did not say one thing bad thing about that no. incident. He admitted that it was just, you know, what it was, blah, blah, blah. Apart from that, you know, that initial little bit of like radio chatter saying like, oh, what is this guy doing? But that's just like in the moment stuff. Sure, there, there's absolutely. nothing, you know. But Carlos, a 28-year-old man who has been in the sport long enough, decided to go onto a social media site and bash Oscar. I don't like that. It was embarrassing and quite shameful. His whole attitude. <laughs> I watched. I watched the, like, I watched the clip of him actually like saying like, uh, like he's this is inexperience and you know I've been in this sport long enough well then you've been in this sport long enough to know that that attitude is just embarrassing please don't do it I have to say I love the fact that on, <laughs> that on this zoom call she started flicking her hair back and forth she was she was coming out with that last sentence I thought that was beautiful by the way I that was hilariously sassy I love that keep, now, keep going keep going I am I'm, 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 cook. Crack on. Now, the Lewis and Checo incident was also complete and utter BS. It was never a penalty. I don't understand the type of racing that the FIA actually want from F1 drivers nowadays because to me, that was just a really good battle. Unfortunately, yes, they did end up touching, which is what happens when you turn into a corner when someone's on your inside, just saying. But I really dislike this idea now that if, if, some, if another car or another driver causes damage, 
immediate penalty. You've you've taken them out of the race. That means you should be like penalized for it. No, that's not how it works. That's never how. That's well, it, I say that's never you how say, it works. You say that's never worked. how it works. Have you seen yeah. these stewards? Yeah, <laughs> it never used to be this way. <laughs> Holding on to the good old days, it never used to be that way mm. because. I mean, if that is the case, then yes, Carlos did deserve a penalty. But I would put, I would genuinely just put both incidents down as racing incidents and just leave it at that. No person to blame. Get off your high horse and just end the day. Oh, that was a shame. Ta-da. And the Oscar goes to... <laughs> um, honestly, I haven't actually got too much more to add to that. Um, I pretty much fully agree with what you said charlie um i don't i mean oscar summed it up best he said i think if we did it again we'd both do it a little bit differently i think signs did make one valid point when he talked about the incident like and that was where piastri parked his car i think he was spot on in where he said if you pin your car fully on that apex at the source on turn one it is asking for trouble it, it has had multiple incidents off that corner in the past. That I do agree with. However, before you jump in, Charlie, because I know what you're like, I, I can <laughs> see you foaming at the mouth here. I do agree that Carlos was predominantly to blame for that incident. He locks up, he loses control of his car going into turn one, and he shoots that gap in the middle of Piastri on the inside and then Hamilton on the outside. He did not have full control of his vehicle. Um, and I think he was asking for trouble the moment he locks up. I think at that point, he's almost choosing what accidents he wants to have um, at that point. I don't think it's a massive incident. I don't think it was worthy of a penalty. It was a minor mistake, and you know the contact was light. It wasn't huge. I mean, yeah, the punishment didn't fit the crime for both parties. I don't think it was something that should have warranted both cars failing to finish in the mm. end. Um, I think, you know, I don't think it was a huge mistake from Cardo Sainz. Um, I just, and I don't think I had a portion predominant blame enough to penalize him either. I think that was a pretty bog standard lap one, turn one incident to me that that just happens sometimes. So um, I didn't think anything of that Sainz Piastri incident, even if Charlie took it to a whole nother level about how to conduct yourself on social media, <laughs> something that, you know, I'm very good at, of course. <clears throat> anyway, um, so, yeah, and, and to relate that to the Hamilton-Perez sprint incident, yeah, I fully agree. That was a racing incident, I think. Yes, Hamilton does understeer a little bit, and yeah, and yeah, Checo does give him plenty of room. Checo is in no way responsible for what happened there. Um, Hamilton did understeer into Perez's side, but it's a very light touch, and you don't punish people based off the consequences of the incident. You punish them based on the incident itself. And it was very light incidental contact that unfortunately Perez was very unlucky that it caused such a huge amount of damage. It ended his race that, and that was unfortunate and Perez was unlucky in that regard. Um, but I don't think what Hamilton did, um, in that heat of the moment, in that incident itself, was war was warranted of a five second penalty. I suspect what happened there was because Perez had that damage and because it ended his sprint, 
I think maybe that swayed the stewards into thinking, well, we can't <sighs> leave that. We can't let that one go unchecked. I hate that, though. I agree with you. I don't think that's how they should adjudicate these incidents. But I think that's what the stewards were probably thinking. Do you not think that that discourages racing, though? Because, well, like, yeah, if, I mean, yeah, to know, agree. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I mean, I I actually disagree slightly. I think Checo probably could have left a little bit more space than he did. Um, I think he was fine. But I don't know. I The whole incident still to me was a racing incident. And Agreed. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of racing the FIA, like I say, I don't expect, know what they expect. Because if we want to see these good battles, which at first, like when, you know, you see them going at it and you're like, yeah, like, let's go. And then like they touch and you're kind of like, oh, all right. But it was still okay. And then you just see this massive gaping hole <laughs> in, yeah. in Paris, which is, I get, I get why people were frustrated and why they think it deserved the penalty because of that but i just i don't know like you said the consequences you don't you know why why you don't you don't what's the word i think in, i think <laughs> you in, don't penalize for the for the for the consequence you penalize yeah. for the crime yeah and for me in and not to keep the law theme going for a second here i don't think the punishment fit the crime in either instance Perez no. didn't didn't deserve to have his race ended because of, of again a very light nudge from hamilton that just happened to punch his side pod completely out that was unfortunate i mean we've, we've already had one of those earlier this year with verstappen in baku yeah. sprint and then george george hit him there and it did hurt verstappen's car a bit but it wasn't you know race ending it's just one of those things unfortunately i i, I agree with you charlie that we should probably need to loosen up a little bit on that because I think you're right. I think it could discourage harder racing. And I don't think that's something this sport has the luxury to be trying to potentially back down on. I think... Especially at the moment. Yeah, I think Perez was unlucky. I think that's just one of those racing deals where he just has a hole punched out of his car. I don't think Hamilton... Um, what he what he did, I don't think it was malicious or anything like that. I think it was just unfortunate. Yes, if if you're going to apportion blame, I think the majority does go to Hamilton, but I also don't think that was enough to warrant a penalty. I think that was very harsh. The penalty points thing I'm not bothered about because the penalty the only penalty point that matters is your twelfth. Yeah. The other like so you know Hamilton's not going to be doing six of these a year where he has to worry about getting a race ban. So for me, like the penalty point thing is meh, whatever. The time penalty dropped him from fourth to seventh. That was brutal um, because the sprint is shorter. And as a result, you know, you're going to be in those sorts of scenarios where it's going to hurt you that much more if you get, if you take a time penalty. I don't think either punishment fit either crime for all parties concerned in both these incidents. And with that in mind, I'm going to say five. I, I completely agree. Neither of those incidents, in my opinion, warranted punishment. Um, and I think that Hamilton was... was quite hard done by yeah i'm gonna go with a five as well i think i yeah i mean they're two very different incidents so i can i can see but i just don't think that either of them warranted penalty at all and i agree i agree with the penalty thing i mean lewis is on none 
well before before spy he had no penalty points right. so you know the two isn't going to make a difference to him Gasly had to get to 10 before he even started thinking about the possibility of a race ban and <laughs> like you know most of these drivers are skilled enough where they're not going to get into six if you're getting in six or seven incidents that are giving penalty points out over the course of a year, you probably should be sitting one out, quite frankly. So, like, and Hamilton is clearly not that sort of driver. Not, nowhere no. near. So I don't think it's anything to... The penalty points is, is meh to me, but the five seconds was pretty crippling in that instance. And I, again, I don't think that was deserved at all. Final take of the episode comes from Emil, uh, Emil Hadarsson, who says... Perez is the most overrated driver on the grid at the moment. He's doing a worse job in the Red Bull than Albon. Oh wow! Uh, I don't know if that's if that's criticism to Albon or like <laughs> why are we painting Alex Albon's <laughs> catching strays out here? Like wow! Um, Perez is the most overrated driver on the grid at the moment. He's doing a worse job in the Red Bull than Albon. Um, I mean, I'll take I'll take this one first because oh, you okay. you went into a five minute tirade about about <laughs> Carlos Sainz Twitter etiquette. Um, so, um, let's not revise history too hard here. On this is what I would say. Like my response to the take of Sergio Perez is overrated. Who's rating Sergio Perez right now? If anything, Perez has been roasted back and forth pretty much all year long for either one, not being on Verstappen's level, or two, qualifying really badly. So for me, like, who's rating Carl? Like, it's like Carl it's, I also said Carlos signs there again. I've, I've, I've had the last take on my brain too much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, who's rating Sergio Perez right now? If anything, there's been a lot of dialogue regarding his future purely because of how bad his qualifying has been for the majority of this season. You know what his average grid starting spot is this year, Perez? 10. In one of the strongest F1 cars ever made. No one out here is rating Checo at the moment. And what I would also say in on top of that is, let's not pretend Alex Albon did a good job at Red Bull because he didn't. Like, you... you, you we we don't have to you know prop like and go back into Albon's records and think well yeah well Albon was actually quite under no he wasn't don't get me wrong I think he was put in a horrible scenario he was he was brought in after twelve Grand Prix to replace Pierre Gasly who absolutely did underperform at Red Bull I don't think anyone reasonable is arguing that he was basically told go into a car that's really good as a rookie and match a generational talent like Max Verstappen. It's virtually impossible, especially when the team and the car, and Albon's spoken about this publicly. Like If you read his Players' Tribune piece, he talked about how much nose on the car Verstappen likes to have and how it was like playing Call of Duty with the sensitivity at 10. And if anyone knows their Call of Duty, they'll be the first to tell you that is wacky. Um, And not a lot of people like to play the game that way. Albon... I mean, if you look at him for a say, I, I've got the I've got the 2020 calendar in front of me, and I remember that season because Red Bull was second. It was clearly the second best car in the sport in 2020. Albon was seventh in the championship. He had two podiums to Verstappen's eleven that year. He had half as many points as Max. Claire was down there below him in eighth. You know, Signs was there above him in 2020. Like it's it wasn't great. Like finishing seventh in the second best car is just bad. 
that was his first full season. You know, like it's just not good. There's there's no getting around that. If if Sergio Perez was seventh in the championship right now, Christian Horner wouldn't have hair on his head. <laughs> He'd be heated. So for me, no, I disagree with this take. Like like Perez is not getting flowers from people right now for how well or how well he is or isn't driving. He just had a race where he effectively started the first lap in the lead and then was beaten by Max by 22 seconds when he passed him on lap 17. Like, who's rating Checo right now? <laughs> if anything, half of the sport wants him out of that seat for somebody else. So I, I, I can't get there on that one. Charlie, how do you feel about it? I mean, this is how much I didn't think about Albon being in Red Bull because I thought the take was like comparing him to how he's doing in Williams. <laughs> at first and I was like oh I was like how am I going to compare right. to a Williams no, that, that, <laughs> I can see how you came to that conclusion to be fair so that just says everything about Albon's season in Red Bull if I can't even if if my brain doesn't automatically go oh yeah he was, <laughs> that's what he was doing mm. but anyway um, I wouldn't say Perez is overrated. There certainly isn't a huge amount of praise for him at the moment, both within the team or on social media from fans. Um, so definitely not overrated. Perez is a good driver. And I genuinely think what's happened this season is that at the beginning, he genuinely thought he had what it take, he had what it took to fight Max for the championship. And once that started to unravel, the pressure stacked up and he began to unravel further. I know people say it a lot. But it really isn't easy being a number two driver, particularly to a driver you know deep down that you will never be on their level. I think a lot of people do forget that he is still P2 in a championship. And although it is in an absolute rocket ship, and some people probably think that they could jump in that car and <laughs> get to P2, that isn't, you know, that doesn't happen. You, I, I mean, I would be dead within a first corner if I jumped into that Red Bull. So, mm. like, I, yeah, I don't know. I think he just, I just really hope now for Checo's sake that he just gets out of his own head a little bit. He comes back and he has thrown away any kind of, kind of like any thought that he's in contention for this championship. And he comes back and he just refocuses on securing P2 and gets back on form because at the beginning of the year, he, he was, I mean, I think he was really, he started off really strong. And I yeah, just think that worrying about what his teammate was doing ruined that i genuinely do think it was just all in his head so um no i i don't i don't think he's doing an awful job at red bull um he's not doing a max verstappen because he isn't max verstappen no and that and that's that's normal i don't think unless you're going to hire one of the top drivers to go alongside max you ain't getting anywhere nearer, I don't think, than what Checo is currently. Unless you're hiring like a, a Leclerc or a Norris or a Hamilton or, you know, any of those drivers that are very, very widely regarded as some of the best in the sport, they aren't getting close. Anybody else isn't getting close to Max. He is he is a world-class driver. So, no, I don't think that Perez is doing horrific. I, I think people do... And I know we poke fun at it as well, whether, you know, he's going elsewhere or whatever. My only worry is that Red Bull think that he's doing horrific because 
they do compare everybody to Max. Yeah. And that's wrong because they shouldn't and then they should know that It's not it's not a fair fight. No, they yeah, they should know that. Um but it seems that that doesn't go into their brains when considering other drivers. So that's what I worry about more for Checo. It's not that he's actually doing a good bad job, it's that Red Bull will just be like you're doing a bad job because you're not on Verstappen's tail. This was the Red Bull master plan from the t- the one year that Verstappen was in single seaters when he was in European Formula Three. This has been a decade in the in the making for Red Bull. They've butchered careers and shoved people to the side out of nowhere to make Max the centerpiece of this team. It's worked. I can't. No one can argue that it hasn't worked. He's going to win his third World Championship long before this season is over. And with that third title, you're genuinely looking at one of the best F1 drivers of all time. But you can't sit there, have this massive master plan, build this entire team around this generational prodigy, and then tell the other guy, go match him. It's not fair. It's it's it's, it's not a fair fight. Now, yeah, Perez has probably slipped a little bit, even compared to some of the other more famous number twos we've had in in recent F1 history, like a Rubens Barrichello or maybe a Mark Webber. Um, ironically, another Red Bull guy that came in from outside of their system when Vettel was their guy. Um, yeah, like Perez has underperformed a little bit this season. Um, quite a lot, depending on who you ask. Um, if, if, he, if he brings home a comfortable second in the championship, no one's going to complain. Like no, no one reasonable should complain about it. You are comparing a Hall of Very Gooder in Sergio Perez to one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, uh, and and someone's got someone's going to lose that fight, and chances are it's going to be the guy that hasn't had all the backing, all the support, and all the input for the last half decade. And that's not that's that's taking nothing away from Max. He has deserved and earned that right without question, because he, he's been an incredible talent for uh, almost a decade already. But no, he's certainly been better than what Albon was, without question, in, in, in the Red Bull. And I don't think anybody is sitting here saying, you know who's really underrated? Sergio Perez. No! <laughs> like, I, I, I can't get there on that one. So I'm going to say one on this one, because again, Albon, Albon lost his job for a reason. He wasn't good. Like and he was significantly worse than Max in the same machinery. And as much as it's ruthless and harsh, that's how this sport gets down. That's how Red Bull gets down. Is it to their detriment sometimes? Absolutely. But if they can produce someone like a Vettel or a Verstappen, hell, even a Ricardo, to a lesser degree, the mission accomplished and it's working because they've developed an incredible car and Verstappen knows how to master it. And that's right now all they need. So I'm going to say one, Albon wasn't great in a Red Bull. We, you don't need to use him as a as a shield to poke at Perez to say, oh, Perez is worse. No, he's not. Perez isn't as bad as what Albon was, but it, I'm not saying Perez has been good either. <laughs> but um, there's levels to this. So I'm going to say one. Yeah, I think I'd go one, two. I mean, and it's nothing against Albon as well, because I think he is a brilliant driver. And I, I, I do, I have wondered this season whether Red Bull have looked on him and thought, hmm, what did we do there? Because he he genuinely like has been very impressive and you can tell he's a very solid driver. He's been great I this just, year, absolutely. And I, I just don't think he was one ready for Red Bull. 
And two, <laughs> again, comparing him to Max Verstappen is never going to work. So it's not a fair yeah. fight. It's, it's an inherently unfair fight. And I think that's something that a lot more people need to take into account when evaluating second drivers. The issue I had with Perez was that he was opening the door for other cars beneath them in the fight to potentially take points off them. It's not going to be a huge problem this year because Red Bull have got such a dominant car anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, But if we had a closer field, this might be an issue. If you want the walking case study for that, it's Lance Stroller, Aston Martin. Fernando Alonso is third in the championship and fighting Hamilton for third overall, and he's in no man's land. There's like a there's a two-man fight completely devoid of Red Bull, where it's Alonso v. Hamilton for the bronze medal. Lance Stroll is down in ninth. He has 47 points to Alonso's 149. If you want an example of a bad number two, Look at Lance Stroll and get back to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say one, like I mentioned earlier, but, like, again, let's not revise history on this one just because Perez is under-delivered. Um, but that'll do it for this edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. Got a small announcement to make before I get out of here. I want holiday for the next two weeks. Um, so, uh, yeah, the first time I've taken holiday since I've joined WTF1. So I'll be out for the next two weeks on Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm going to be out there in America. So I'm going to be enjoying my time off. Um, so uh, I will leave you in the rest of the capable hands of the WTF1 team in the time <laughs> being. Um, Charlie, please do not set the place on fire while I'm gone. I know it says Hot Takes Wednesday. Please do not take that phrase literally. Um <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, filled, <laughs> f- filled with confidence as ever. Um, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to be on the plane in the fetal position, wondering what's happened to the show when I get back. But uh, in- enjoy the summer break. I'll I'll be back the week before Zanvort. Um, like I said, uh, the show will be in more than capable hands while I'm gone. Um, thanks to everybody for all the kind words and support, um, especially in the last month of the Lando Norris shirt giveaway. <clears throat> um, and uh, that that shirt has been has been sent out. So uh, yeah, um, despite all of that, it doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you for all the backing. It really does mean the world. Um, and the fact that I get so many DMs of people is testament to the fact that you guys care. And that means a lot. So thank you. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. It'll be like I've, I was never left. So I'll see you before Zanvor. Have a wonderful summer break. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes Wednesday with me and from Charlie Williams. Until next time, thank you very much for watching. Take care. Bye.